so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. There's a pony in there somewhere. Yes, there is at least 10 minutes of podcast in that (laughs) thing we just did. All right, you guys ready? (laughs) Where, what are we doing now? <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Good afternoon on a good Friday. And Brent Leatherwood. We're going to make it the best Friday. That's what I'm talking about. And later in the show, we're going to talk to a special guest, our friend and colleague, Catherine Parks. Catherine is an author, a speaker, a mother, and just a really great person. We're excited to have that conversation with her, and we are uh, looking forward to today's show so that we can get into it. Lindsay, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. All right, Josh and Brent. Before I get started, I just have to let listeners know that one of the pieces of feedback that we've been getting about our podcast is how fast Josh talks. I thought that was a fast intro. Did you not, Brent? Josh only knows one speed, and that's fast. That is fast. Okay, but before we get off track any further, let's get back to the ERLC.com content. So this week is a big week in the life of Christians, and uh, one of our fellow colleagues, Alex Ward, he wrote an article about this week, and he calls it, What Holy Week Reminds Us Of in the Midst of a Pandemic. And he points out that in these weeks when we have a hard time keeping time, we don't even know what day of the week it is, that this week should remind us that this is not like all other weeks. And this Friday, this Sunday, it's not like any other day of the week, that this week reminds us that we have a purpose and we have a hope and that there is an end coming to this pandemic because of the victory that we have through Christ's death and resurrection. I would encourage you to read that article, especially as you are meditating on what it means that our Savior came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again on that glorious Easter morning. This is without a doubt one of my favorite pieces uh, that, that we've come out with recently because A, Alex is just very transparent about what got him to write this, but then B, the truth that he writes about, it's evergreen. So whether you're in the midst of a pandemic or a normal uh, Easter celebration. Uh, these things are true. And I am just so glad that he decided to put pen to paper and share these thoughts with us because I, I really enjoyed this piece. Yeah, it was a great piece. And we're so thankful to have Alex on staff. We have a piece next up by one of our colleagues as well. This colleague is in DC. Her name is Chelsea Patterson Sobolik. And it's about an area that the coronavirus is affecting that 
our team is passionate about. And the article is titled, How the Coronavirus is Affecting Vulnerable Children and How Christians Can Help. So there are vulnerable children that are in abusive situations, and now they're isolated and they don't have help. And Chelsea cites some research that shows that increased stress can increase the probability that children will experience abuse or neglect within the home. And of course, in this time when people are losing their jobs, um, when we're forced to stay at home, when there's the threat of illness, there is increased stress. So she calls on Christians to give to reputable organizations to get involved, to keep our eyes open to those children around us that we see even as we're walking in our neighborhood and to pray. Our prayers matter. It's not doing nothing. The Lord listens to his people and will move on behalf of these vulnerable children. And then uh, finally, I wanted to highlight an article about another issue that is on the rise in the midst of this pandemic, and that's mental health. We've highlighted it before, but this time we have an article by Stephen Gresevich. I'm sorry, Stephen, for mispronouncing your last name. And he is a mental health professional. He's written an article titled, How Churches Can Promote Mental Health Through the Coronavirus Pandemic. He also cites a study uh, that compared symptoms of PTSD in parents and children who had been quarantined. And they found that the mean PTSD stress scores were four times higher in children and nearly five times higher in quarantined adults. And that just lets us know that, again, in the midst of a stressful situation like this, that there are going to be people who struggle with mental health, that the church needs to be aware of this, that we need to pull our resources, we need to pray uh, and ask the Lord how we can help, and we need to be intentional about seeking to help those who are struggling in this way. And then just wanted to let our listeners know that we will, of course, have pieces up about Good Friday and about the resurrection. We'll have some pieces that we're going to put out on Saturday, which we normally don't do. And then Josh is going to highlight a few pieces coming out in other outlets as well. Yeah, we have some exciting other stuff coming out from our uh, colleagues. Uh, Dan Darling, who is our uh, vice president of communications, he's got uh, a piece out today, actually, in National Review uh, on Good Friday. And so if you haven't had a chance to check that out, you can head over there and take a look at that. And then uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, our president, uh, Dr. Moore, is going to have a piece uh, up at Christianity Today that is talking about Easter and the resurrection and also addressing the the moment that we find ourselves in where uh, typically, you know, Easter is the biggest Sunday uh, for most churches in terms of attendance and in terms of just the all-out celebration uh, that churches would experience on this day where we are celebrating uh, the fact that Jesus rose in victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And, you know, obviously this Sunday, as we celebrate Easter, it's it's going to feel different. Uh, the celebration is going to look different uh, as we are in this unique time in American history. So Dr. Moore's got a piece up at Christianity Today uh, that addresses those issues. Thanks for that, Josh. And that's what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that moves us into our culture section for the week. So Brent, why don't you tell us what you've been paying attention to in the world of culture? Well, so there were some uh, moves on the political front this week. Wisconsin on Tuesday held its primary But it was unlike many primaries that have been uh, happening before this because it was happening in the midst of quarantine orders around the state. And there had been a lot of drama that had been taking place between the Democratic governor and the Republican-controlled legislature. Ultimately, it spilled over into the courts in Wisconsin, and they sided with the Republican legislature. And so uh, the primary did go on. Vice President Biden did emerge victorious. And as a matter of fact, that result ultimately ensured that Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders 
pulled the plug on his presidential campaign. So the the Bernie revolution is now over, guys. Brent, I saw a bunch of pictures floating around online this week of people who were standing in lines uh, to vote in that Wisconsin primary. And it was, I mean, it was surreal and kind of I want to use the word haunting just to see people standing there uh, with their masks on and spread out doing the social distancing, being six feet apart, just standing in a long line waiting to vote. I mean, that is just it it was literally a snapshot of the moment that we find ourselves in. But what this really means, ultimately, functionally, the most important part is that uh, former Vice President Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee. And whether that happens in an actual convention or there was some talk this week about a virtual convention where he would be given the, the nomination, um, that's, that's still playing out within the Democratic National Committee. In the White House this week, the new chief of staff, Mark Meadows, he's a former congressman from uh, North Carolina, has started uh, remaking some of the team in the White House. And the most notable change that he made this week was the White House press secretary, Stephanie Grisham. She was moved over to serve now in the First Lady's office as the First Lady's chief of staff. I actually did hear about that. And is it true that she didn't uh, actually ever hold a media briefing on camera? Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, that was one of the most noteworthy things about her tenure as press secretary is that she's holding this incredibly visible job or what has historically been this incredibly visible job. uh, But while she was doing it, she never actually gave an on-camera briefing. That's right. So those are some notable developments that happened this week on the political front. Elsewhere on the pro-life front, I thought this was interesting. So uh, a number of people may already know this. Texas, as well as uh, other states, but Texas uh, has declared that abortions, getting abortions, are not an essential service in this current uh, context that we find ourselves in. That had been challenged legally, and this week we learned a federal appeals court sided with the state of Texas, and they found that abortion is not an essential medical procedure right now. And I think that that's good news for us who are constantly advocating for life. And perhaps it's it's something to come back to after coronavirus passes. Yeah. And Brent, we mentioned last week that we have signed on, the ERLC and Dr. Moore have signed on to some letters to the federal government um, asking that this same thing be true, that abortions would be ruled as not an essential service during this pandemic. That's right. On the international front, probably the thing that uh, caused the most people to uh, take notice was the United Kingdom's Prime Minister, uh, Boris Johnson. He was placed in ICU. As a matter of fact, there were a couple of nights this week where folks were very alarmed about his case. Now, we did just find out on Thursday that he's been released from the ICU. So he's still in the hospital They're still observing him. He was never placed, to public knowledge, he was never placed on a ventilator. Uh, But that was certainly a a moment uh, for our friends over in Great Britain uh, that they were paying attention to. Yeah, so we talked about Boris Johnson uh, several weeks ago on the podcast because, you know, he he famously is the prime minister who is associated with Brexit. You know, he's the one who uh, can claim credit for getting Brexit done. And so uh, the, the world has, you know, come to know Boris Johnson as this kind of larger-than-life figure. We've been watching as the UK has been trying to deal uh, and brace for and then deal with uh, the spread of coronavirus there. And so, uh, you know, best, you know, just... Pray, prayers for him to uh, to make a full recovery, to be able to continue to exercise the leadership uh, that, that, that that country needs during this time. And staying in London, this week we saw an elegant and important speech by Queen Elizabeth, 
who addressed the United Kingdom, called for unity in this moment, and pledged that uh, the Britons will succeed in this moment. Yeah, and Brent, we had to fact check this, but I heard earlier this week that this is only the fifth time she's addressed the people. And if you just think about her reign, how long she has been reigning, and the certain times that she's chosen to speak to and address the people, it's just, well, it speaks to how important and how large and all-consuming this pandemic is. But It's just fascinating to think through all the changes that she's seen in her long tenure. Yeah, Lindsay, you pointed out that that's only the fifth time that she's given a televised address during her entire reign as queen. And, uh, you know, as Americans, this is a strange thing for us anyway, because, you know, we just don't have a monarchy. So I know personally, I'm fascinated by watching, you know, just the goings on of, of the royal family, kind of like we talked about several weeks ago. But uh, for this particular TV address, I, I read that almost 24 million people uh, watched the queen uh, deliver this. And, you know, all, all of the, the media coverage of it just showed how much uh, the British people were we're moved and inspired to hear from her. So let's just dive right into our kind of pop culture section. So Tyler Perry, the movie star, it was reported this week, and this made the rounds on Twitter, that he pledged for a certain time to pay the grocery bills at 44 different Kroger grocery stores around Atlanta. What what a remarkable action that he took there to, to help people that are in need. Yeah, I mean, that was a, such a significant thing. I think he actually did this during uh, that those grocery stores set up certain hours for uh, seniors to be able to go and to shop where they could both have access to a fully stocked grocery store that had been freshly cleaned uh, before, you know, other customers were able to get in there. And Tyler Perry took this step to, uh, you know, to literally, I mean, he told to people's total surprise uh, to take care of their grocery bills. And, you know, I mean, that's such an a gesture of generosity that was overwhelming. You know, there were pictures floating around of just the responses uh, of these seniors who were informed that their bill had been totally taken care of. So when they, you know, went to check out, you see them holding their receipt of all the items that they got and to find out that they indeed like got those things for free was incredibly moving to speak also of Tyler Perry coming up this weekend, you know, we've talked already about the fact that it's Easter and something that caught my eye uh, in the world of pop culture, not to step on your toes, uh, Brent, is that some celebrities are getting together. Tyler Perry, uh, Mariah Carey, and I think Kanye West are all going to be at Joel Osteen's church this weekend. And, you know, Joel Osteen is the pastor of one of the largest churches in America. Typically, whenever, you know, to put a finer point on it, Joel Osteen is ultimately a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel preacher. And what we want to say about that is that the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. Uh, Anything other than putting your full faith and hope in Christ, uh, not because of of some kind of like earthly uh, riches or treasures, uh, but because he is our eternal treasure, is putting your hope in something that is false. What we would hope is that this Easter, as so many eyes, just because of the kind of star power with these celebrities, uh, as that is drawing so much attention, that we would hope that Jesus would be the the center of what is seen. Uh, Certainly, we know that in churches across the United States this weekend, Jesus and his resurrection are going to be the truth uh, that is proclaimed. And so, you know, as we are, you know, kind of moving past that, but just to think about the broader theme of Easter, this is going to be a huge weekend uh, for Christians, even as we are mostly in our homes celebrating together the, the hope of the resurrection. That's right. And speaking of star power, so I think it it bears mentioning again, last week we talked about John Krasinski putting together a newscast called Some Good News, where he basically crowdsources uh, for good news around the country and features those on his Facebook page, Instagram, etc. And he did it again this week. And it's great because it is full of a bunch of under the radar 
pieces of good news from around culture that I think will liven everybody's spirit. So we'll, we'll drop that in there for this week. But Brent, not all of his good news was under the radar because he had a girl on who had wanted to go see Hamilton and it was canceled, obviously, because of the pandemic. So he had the original Broadway cast of Hamilton surprise her and sing to her on this episode. So pretty epic. And it made me think of, which was going to be my lunchroom segment, that there was going to be a sing-along tonight with Hamilton and the cast. But I went to look that up when we were going to talk about it, and it was canceled. Sad. So I interrupt the good news with bad news. Thanks, Debbie Downer. Speaking of (laughs) epic, the Cuomo brothers, they're back. That's Andrew what I'm Cuomo about. and uh, the governor of New York and Chris Cuomo, the CNN host, uh, they came back with some more segments and they are just officially a thing on the internet. Right, Josh? Oh, man. Like, I am absolutely loving what we need right now is good news. So thanks to John Krasinski and thanks to the Cuomo brothers. Just giving America things to laugh about, things to talk about. And uh, so if you haven't, you know, again, if you haven't taken a chance to, to check this out, you really need to because it is just hilarious. I just flipped through that, the article that we have linked to for the first time. And the best, I mean, it's hilarious, but the best segment is when Chris Cuomo was telling his brother about his hallucinations, him being in a ballet outfit and seeing them both laugh. Here's a serious question, though. Do you think that their publicists got together and they said, let's provide the world with some comic relief during this hard time? Or do you think they really just genuinely decided to throw banter back and forth? I mean, as a guy who has a brother, I can just tell you that kind of stuff just happens. Now, was this planned? Quite possibly, but... There's, it feels so authentic because I promise there's some real authenticity to what's going on mm-hmm. between the two of these guys. And speaking of bright spots like the Cuomo brothers provide and others like Hamilton, we should note that this week, as it wraps up, did not seem to be as bad as a lot of folks were forecasting. Now, that's not to minimize the folks out there who have gotten sick, the families who potentially have lost someone, and certainly the millions of people Uh, who are facing really tough economic times right now. But we were told last week when we recorded this that we were entering into what could be the the darkest uh, time frame for America's fight against coronavirus. Thankfully, I think due to a number of measures that have been in place and uh, folks listening to and adhering to the social distancing guidelines, we seem to have at least abated somewhat the the coronavirus epidemic. And hopefully that will continue because I know all the models that people are paying attention to, they assume that all of this will, will remain the same. People's activities will remain the same through the end of May. And so we need to keep it up. But I do think it's, it's worth mentioning that there has been some good news in the uh, fight against COVID-19. All right. So... With that, Lindsay and Josh, that is your look at This Week in Culture. So now we're about to talk to our friend and colleague, Catherine Parks. Catherine is an author, a speaker, a mom. She's an editor for us here at the RLC, and she is just an incredible person. And we're looking forward to talking to her now. So Catherine, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in ministry right now. And also tell us if you could, uh, what's one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry? Yeah, so um, in this exact moment, ministry looks a little bit different. Uh, I am 
with your LC colleague, Palmer Williams, I'm doing some uh, Bible study teaching for our local church for the women there. And so we've obviously moved that over to Zoom and are, are trying to finish up a study of Judges and then move to Ruth. And that's kind of what local ministry looks like. Um, I had been substitute teaching quite a bit before school shut down. And so that was... Uh, a unique ministry opportunity that I really enjoyed. And there's something so fun about being in the same classes week after week and and getting to know some of the students and hearing their stories. So I've been thinking and praying a lot about some of those individual students, just knowing their home situations are hard. And um, there's a part of my heart that is really with them during this time when they are home a lot. Uh, And Really what the Lord is teaching me through some of that is just um, the importance of local ministry and of dedicating ourselves to people that we see day in and day out or weekly and really um, trying to keep in touch with them and, and check in on them. And I, as this shutdown goes on, I I see more and more people saying like, I can't wait to see people. And I'm feeling myself kind of having the opposite response where it's like the further I get removed, the further I want to like hibernate. <laughs> and so I think the Lord is really convicting me about the selfishness of that mindset and um, repeatedly showing me how much I need other believers and how much I need the local community around me. And that that's like a reciprocal relationship that I need to really give myself to. Yeah. And just a personal note, I'm in that Bible study that Catherine talked about and can attest that it is so good. Her and Palmer are doing a great job. And uh, she is, Catherine is faithful to serve in local ministry and has blessed many women through that. So Catherine, this podcast focuses on Christians and culture. Tell us what you and others around you are paying attention to right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I think one of the things that I'm seeing um, maybe a lot online is this desire that we have. And I think with like the outrage culture that we live in, that we want someone to be mad at about what's going on in the world with COVID-19. And we're looking for people to blame for different things. And, and I see that even in my own life or, you know, my husband was talking to one of our neighbors the other day and they were talking about, you know, neighbor kids running up and down the street and playing with each other and whether that was okay or not. And so whether it's on the internet or in our own neighborhoods, like, People just want someone to be upset at, and uh, maybe it's like an elusive grasp for control of something. But I was thinking about that with the popularity of the Tiger King documentary. I don't know if you guys have watched this. We tried. I got a few episodes in, and it was just too dark and depressing for me. But I think I was thinking about like the popularity of that in this particular moment where it's like, this is something that we can all agree on that these people are actually the worst. And so maybe that's why it's resonating so much because we just need someone that we can all be angry at at the same time. And so, yeah, that's just like a little glimpse of some of the things that I'm seeing where, I mean, there are so many good things, so many people coming alongside of encouraging each other, but there's also this like, maybe it's out of fear. We're just angry with each other. And that makes me really sad, but it's also a great opportunity to bring in the hope of the gospel, especially as we celebrate Easter and the only innocent person who's ever lived took on all of that anger and that wrath and that self-righteousness that we're experiencing. It sounds like uh, possibly a future topic for you to, to write on, uh, the, those kind of reflections, Catherine. Um, Ooh, and so I don't that, know. Well, 
that actually leads into my next question. So you are an accomplished author and, and writer, and you have a chapter in the forthcoming book that's edited by the ERLC's own Trillian Newbell titled Beautifully Distinct. And um, in your chapter, you talk about movies and how they speak our culture's language. Will you give us a little more insight into what that means? Yeah. So I think if you look at world history and any time, you know, archaeologists will will find a, a new culture or um, relics of a culture. A lot of what they look at to understand the culture is the art. And so, you know, it could be cave drawing or vases that are dug up or, you know, whatever the, the relics of a culture are often the artistic expression. And that's what tells the story of that culture and what they thought and believed and and how they lived. And so I think in a lot of ways, movies are that. The visual media that we all consume and create are that cultural language that we all speak. And one of the things that has been really interesting is um, seeing even like Netflix come out with, um, I can't remember what it's called. Is it Netflix Party? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Where you can watch a movie together with people who are in their own homes, but there's oh, like a feature no, to connect and watch the movie at the same time and then chat about it. But how we consume these things, not in, you know, maybe we consume them in isolation, but um, there's so much a part of the way that we relate to each other. And so back again to this Tiger King thing, I mean, you can see all of these memes that have come up that people around the world understand because we're consuming the same media and speaking that same language together. And so that's a, a unique opportunity for us to both understand, but also point to truth in the way that we both create and consume cultural experiences like TV and movies. That sounds so helpful, Catherine. I cannot wait to read your chapter in that book. Pivoting topics. We also work at the ERLC with your dad. And so I have had time to spend with your dad, Tom, and your mom, Linda, and they are just amazing. You are just two of the very best people on the planet, by the way. You just have to say <laughs> they really Tom are. and Linda, are, they are amazing people. They really are, which is probably why Catherine's an amazing person. And Catherine, you grew up as a pastor's daughter. So what are some things that your parents did that helped to make that a good experience for you? Well, first, let me say, I agree with you. I really love my parents. They really are lovely, lovely people. But my experience is probably more relatable for families who are experiencing church planting. So my dad started a church when I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school. And um, it was really hard for me at the time, but looking back, I am so thankful. It really formed so much of my ecclesiology and understanding the role of the local church and my role in the local church. And so we were meeting in homes and I learned to play chords on the piano so that I could help lead worship. And I was the entire youth group for most of high school. And, you know, I, I think about that when I hear parents talk about, well, we need to go to this church because they have a robust youth program or that or, you know, whatever. And and those can be wonderful things. But I think I'm so thankful for the experience that I had because I got to talk to a woman in her 50s or 60s, and I got to help with small children. And those formative years of high school were so informed by all of these different generational believers um, pouring into my life and praying for me and ministering to me. So, Catherine, kind of this final question is one that we've been wrestling with around the office is how do you prevent 
your days from flowing into your nights and your weekdays from flowing into your weekends. And so I'm curious, what are some things you and your family are doing to kind of close down the workday and go into a, a more family-oriented time and pass the time while we all are going through this pandemic? We kind of do a few different things that we've found to work well for us. My kids have helped me actually um, kind of write a little bit of a Bible study that I'm hoping to offer to people that it's just been really fun to walk through with them and get their ideas and have their input Um And so we've been doing that on a passage in Colossians 3. And then last week and this week, we, since my husband is working from home, he'll come down for lunch and we have been watching some YouTube videos on film history, (laughs) which is just an insight into how nerdy we are, but they got to learn all about the invention of movies and um, the silent film era. And they have not loved it nearly as much as their father has, but that's okay. And then, you know, in the evenings, we are trying to be intentional about it's easy to just like all of us plop down and consume media. But um, my husband is a big proponent of creating and not just consuming. And so we're trying to find ways to encourage them to be creative, whether it's writing or, you know, visual arts, or um, we're talking about maybe them doing some short films or things. So really trying to make this a time that they can look back on and not just say, okay, I consumed a lot of junk, but I, I created something that honored the Lord in this time. Mm, that's a good word. Gosh, that's really good. And Catherine, like, we just want to say thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. You know, every family has its own kind of culture. And so to hear, uh, just to see that glimpse uh, inside of your house and how you guys put that emphasis on uh, creating instead of just consuming. I think that's something that a lot of people are going to take away and to benefit from and to hear just your positive experience. You know, a lot of times you hear people talk about uh, growing up as a pastor's kid as if that was uh, some, you know, a great hardship or or just a negative experience. And to hear you say these positive things about your family uh, and about your experience there, I think will be an encouragement to a lot of people. So we're so grateful for you. We love getting to work with you and uh, we're glad we had a chance to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, guys. It was an honor. We're living in uncertain times. All of our lives have changed as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, and none of us know what the future holds. How do we begin to think through recent events and learn to cope with them? In a new book called Where is God in a Coronavirus World, Oxford professor John Lennox examines the coronavirus pandemic and shows us how the Christian worldview can help us make sense of recent events. Lennox reminds Christians that we have a sure and certain hope to cling to when everything around us changes. Go to thegoodbook.com to pre-order now. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we share with you the things that we've been talking about with one another. So Lindsay, what's on your mind this week? So this week, I wanted to highlight a book that I'm reading very slowly, but it, and, but it's not a book that would necessarily require you to read slowly. It's called A Loving Life by Paul Miller. He's written a book called A Praying Life. It was so good. Um, I, I need to go back to it and implement it more often. But A Loving Life goes through the book of Ruth, and it really will transform how you see Naomi at first first. And then it just looks at the way Naomi and Ruth and Boaz thrown in there display radical love in the midst of some really hard situations. Uh, The chapters are short and overall the book is pretty short. So I would highly recommend that one. Yeah, I've used A Praying Life uh, devotionally, and I don't know anybody who has ever taken that book up to read it and not walked away changed by it. Uh, And so I'm 
just as optimistic that a loving life uh, could be that same kind of you know transformative uh, book. Thanks for highlighting that. Uh, for me this week, I've just got a couple things uh, that are all kind of related to just life during this time. So the first thing is gas prices. I'm always hesitant to talk about gas being inexpensive because I have a lot of friends who are down in Texas or particularly in Houston that are you know connected to uh, the oil business. And I know when gas prices are cheap for us, that that means bad times for some other people. Uh, but as I was traveling this week, I got gas for a dollar thirty nine, and I was just thinking about that. It was just so, you know, inexpensive. And it reminded me of like when I first started driving. And so we posted on Slack, which really the, my, my lunchroom this week is actually about all of the uh, interesting discussions we've been having eternally at the URLC. I don't know what it is about this, uh, everyone being stuck at home that has fostered these pretty epic debates that are going on about really mindless and unimportant things. But we have had several just throwdowns uh, in our like digital chat room at the URLC. And so I just wanted to like share a couple of those with you guys. So one, we just had this conversation about gas prices. What was the price of gas when you started driving? And that was an interesting discussion. But better than that were fights over food. So we had an epic discussion about what the best Little Debbie snack is. And uh, I got to tell you, if you don't know, it's Swiss cake rolls. So hope you love Mm -hmm. Swiss cake rolls. And if you've not had one in a long time, you should go get one. What, Lindsay, what's what's your take on that? Brent? I'm with Lindsay, the the nutty buddy. But ultimately, everyone's a winner because we're talking about a Tennessee-based company, Little Debbie. Oh, man, (laughs) Little Debbie. So that was an epic conversation. But even better than that, I saw, you know, everyone everyone has seen, if you've been on the internet, you're on social media, you've seen these pick threes that are floating around where you have nine choices, you only pick three. And we found one uh, to start this kind of unimportant argument about, about which three restaurants would be the best uh, or which three you would save. And I don't remember all the ones that were on there, but I remember that Cracker Barrel really became, everyone just seemed to train their focus on Cracker Barrel. And some people, there were really strong opinions in either direction. For me personally, I'm team Cracker Barrel. I like the, you know, the whole country store thing. I like the fire always going. I like the syrup being served warm. But my biggest thing is, you know, the triangle game, they use the triangle mm-hmm. and you use the golf tees. That's just a fun thing to do, especially if you have kids you have to entertain. As long as they're not poking each other with the golf tees, it's a good time. So anyway, that's that's a couple yeah, of again, things there, going on. And there's there's really only one right opinion about Cracker Barrel because again, it's a Tennessee-based company. Well, there you have it. Well, so, I just feel like we need to let listeners know that we actually do work during the day. We don't just talk about restaurants and snack foods. Yes, Lindsay gets a lot of work done, as evidenced by the stuff you see on eagleside.com. Uh, for Brent and I, our work shows up in other ways. So uh, it's team, mostly team morale. So anyway, Brent, what's on your mind this week? So the one thing that I couldn't let go of because it was just hilarious was the, the Washington Free Beacon, a news outlet in our nation's capital. Andrew Stiles, he's a reporter there, and they did a review of TV Pundit Home Studios so we've seen, if, if we've seen pretty much any newscast at this point, there are a number of commentators who are actually participating from their homes, sometimes their own home bedrooms. But anyways, these, these makeshift studios, <laughs> just the commentary about the items that they place in the background or the symmetry of the room that they're in, it's, it's just hilarious. We'll link to it in the show notes because... We don't often get to peek into the homes of uh, the pundits that we see on television. Yeah, that was such an interesting piece. And honestly, like I've seen so many people just kind of like poking fun in in a good natured way at a lot of these uh, TV uh, political commentators because, you know, they're all broadcasting from their homes. And some of them, like my favorite thing so far, though, has been the ones who 
in successive TV appearances had decided to try to make their backdrop look cooler. And so they can just, they're just mm-hmm. going around their house the to get other books. items. Yeah. What can I put in this shot to make myself look like a more cultured or, you know, fun or whatever kind of person. And so, yeah, you, you should take a, take a second and look at this. Uh, we've got a link there in the show notes. Well, thanks for that, Lindsay and Brent. And so now before we go, we have one more segment. Lindsay, why don't you tell us what's in the inbox this week? Yeah. So this week is, the question is, I'm a parent trying to reinforce the Bible's view of sex with my children who are finishing high school next year. Are there any resources you would recommend or certain things I should be thinking about? So first off, I'll throw out um, some resources. Family Life, if you haven't heard of Family Life, started by the Rainies. Bob Lapine would host the show with Dennis Rainey. They have a great collection of resources. Um, and then specifically for teen girls, Dana Gresh, D-A-N-N-A-H, Gresh, G-R-E-S-H. And we'll link to this. She has several resources for teen girls that are really good, really solid and faithful teaching about uh, what the Bible says about sex. That's really great. And two other things that I would recommend. So our friend Sam Albury, he has a, a relatively new book that came out with the Good Book Company called Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? And I I have read this book. It is incredibly helpful because Sam does such a good job of taking a practical look at walking you uh, through what the Bible has to say about sex and human sexuality and why it matters. And so it provides a lot of that both foundational uh, material to help you with these conversations, but also a lot of practical application. And along with that, uh, the ERLC several years ago put together a, a parenting curriculum called christ Centered Parenting. And uh, there is a there's a whole lesson or whole study in that curriculum on this topic. And it actually helps parents, not just who are dealing with with teens, but it actually has kind of conversation guides for parents of small children, parents uh, of kids who are in elementary and middle school on into high school and how you can, you know, begin to foster those conversations, important things to highlight. And so I would really recommend that as well. One final resource that I would point parents to is a keynote address from our 2018 national conference at the RLC. And that keynote address was given by our executive vice president, Philip Bethencourt, and it was entitled God on Sex, the Creator's Ideas about Love, Intimacy, and Marriage. And I remember sitting in the audience when Philip gave this keynote, and I thought it hit on all the right notes that I, as a as a parent who's going to have this conversation with my children in the future, I thought there's just a number of helpful things, both that are biblical and practical uh, from Philip's talk. So I would I would definitely commend that to you. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Brent, because that reminds me to remind listeners that we have a host of free resources, whether it be articles or event messages on our website that you can go to erlc.com. We had a whole conference on sexuality and we had one on parenting. Uh, So we would highly recommend that you would go to our site and take advantage of those free resources. Thank you guys. I think that's really helpful. And so before we sign off now, we just want to say thank you so much every week for listening to the podcast and helping us uh, spread the word. As a reminder, you can find links to everything we talked about today in our show notes. And we would also just want to ask you again, if you like the podcast, please continue helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. Uh, those have been coming in and it has been uh, fun to connect with those who have, who have left reviews and been willing to share that with us and other listeners to help more people discover the podcast. But for Brent and Lindsay, we want to say thanks for listening and we'll be back next week with more content.